Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. Today we're joined by Brady Murray of Rod's Heroes. We first encountered Brady's story watching an incredible video on social media of his son, Cooper, throwing out the first pitch of a Boston Red Sox game. And this is the gift of social media that we're able to tell our stories and people see our stories and, and we connect. We want to thank Brady for his honesty and his openness. We're hoping next time his wife, Andrea, can join in on the conversation. Brady and Andrea are founders of Rod's Heroes, which is a organization that facilitates the adoption of children with Down syndrome and other special abilities or circumstances. It is a conversation near and dear to our hearts and a reminder to trust our kids who love us so unconditionally. So welcome, Brady Murray. Hey guys. Hello, Brady. Good morning, Brady. How are you this morning? Doing amazing. Yeah, doing great. Good to see you. I apologize. I just saw your message about having Andrea join. She's not able to join us, and that's on me. I should have asked. You know, I'm sorry I didn't think about it. Lori thought about it this morning. I, I should have I should have said it from the beginning. No problem at all. Well, there's maybe a next time. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, so good to see you. You know, um, it, it's funny how you get connected to people in the world and through social media. And I came across like many, many people came across a video of one of your sons uh, throwing a pitch out at a Red Sox game. And um, I know he's done more than just the Red Sox, but that's the one I saw. And I was like, oh, this is, this is great. First of all, I was like, wow, nice arm. And uh, (laughs) and that's what I say about my son too. And and I, and I go, oh, wow, what a, what a fun time that must've been. And then it got me to uh, look in more of what you're doing and um, shared it with Lori and man, we wanted to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. It's going to be super fun to to visit and get to know you guys better too. Well, one of the things you say in one of your videos is the importance of social media and how uh, it connects everyone and you can get your message out there. So I think, I think I'm not a big social media person, but that is, I, I feel like it's one of the elements that's really helping to change the narrative of Down syndrome. No question. It's a, it's a miracle. I mean, it's a miracle. And so just imagine when a child or a mother and father receive diagnosis and they can go and look at these channels on Instagram and TikTok that are transpiring and see what they're in for. And it's going to be so motivating for them versus, you know, Nash just turned 16 and we didn't have that when Nash turned or when Nash was born. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a father of seven, soon to be 11 children. So we're in the process of adopting uh, some ch- some additional children. We're very involved in uh, all things family. 
we've been blessed to be able to have uh, two children that have Down syndrome. Our son, Nash, that just turned 16, he's our second child and first son. And then we were fortunate to adopt Cooper from uh, China in 2016 when he was four. And so Coop's, uh, Coop's 11 now. And so we've got, like I say, 11 children, we're, uh, seven of which will be adopted and, and uh, let's see, so four biological children. So that's a little bit about us as a family and professionally speaking, um, I have been uh, working in the financial services industry since uh, 2003. Um, it's a passion of mine. It's something that I love. Uh, in particular, we um, are doing a significant amount of financial planning and life planning for families entrusted with a loved one with special needs. That's a big passion of ours. Our company is called Special Abilities Network. And then what I refer to as my nights and weekends job is uh, my wife and I run uh, Rod's Heroes, which is a nonprofit organization that inspires families to answer the call to adopt a child with Down syndrome or other special needs. And we've been doing that since 2011. And that was brought about with your son, Nash, when he, yeah. he was born 16 Yeah, you know, you, everything you mentioned was like so geared around, you know, disability and inclusion and Down syndrome. Um, it, it's, it's, we talk often about how different we are and how, uh, you know, we wouldn't be downstream advocates if it wasn't for our son. So yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we had, uh, Andrew and I had been married for maybe three or four years um, and we were expecting our second child and we found out that we were having a little boy. And so I was so excited because I'm a big like baseball guy and I had all these visions of playing baseball with my son and being able to go and, and camping and hiking and fishing and just we love the outdoors and all those things that I think dads envision when they when they're expecting their first son. And so the anticipation was wonderful. Um, the day finally came that Nash was welcomed into our family and he was just perfect. Ten fingers, ten toes. I was doing everything that a dad does and taking pictures and videos and just loving it. And Andrea did such a great job through the delivery. And after he was born, I, I actually noticed that the doctor and the nurses were, um, I would say, kind of talking back and forth in a quiet voice. And they looked like they had concern on their face. And I just, I could sense something was maybe up. And so it was about 10 minutes after Nash was born that the doctor came over to me and just in a very quiet voice, he put his arm around me and, and he, uh, he said, uh, Brady, we think your son has, has Down syndrome. And uh, that was the first that I'd heard of that. And uh, I was uh, very emotional. I, I still have those feelings are very raw and tender feelings, even thinking about it today, 16 years later. But, uh, but it, was, it, was, it, it, it was very real. It, I could feel that. And so I took a few minutes to gather myself. I was very emotional and I had a lot of fear in my mind. I had a lot of, uh, I, that, was a, that was a rough time, um, I would say. And so um, I knew that I needed to gather myself because I needed to go and, and tell Andrea, who had just gone through labor, what the doctor had told me. And so um, I took a couple minutes and then I walked over and I knelt down right next to the bed. And I looked at her and, and I said, honey, the doctor told me that they think Nash has Down syndrome. And then I looked at her 
And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, great, can I hold my son? And I, I knew, I knew right then that, you know what, this is going to be okay. And I could just tell by Andrea's reaction that things were going to be okay. And it, it wasn't easy for me. It, it was a number of weeks and months. And, and I would say even still to this day, I still process that. Um, but I would say looking back now, uh, 16 years later, that was arguably the best day of my life. Uh, being able to welcome my son that has Down syndrome into my family because I had no idea just how much of a blessing and, and what journey this was going to going to take us down. What did you know about Down syndrome before? Nothing. You were... <laughs> I mean, I had some classmates that had Down syndrome um, and I, I don't I know I didn't have the maturity growing up to even like wonder what that was. I just you know, I, I didn't have any negative perceptions to it. I do remember specifically right there in the in the hospital room, in the delivery room, like literally immediately getting on my phone and Googling Down syndrome and characteristics and life expectancy. And I just started seeing all of these things. And, and I just was like overwhelmed, right? I was overwhelmed. Uh, but, I, but I will say, I'm so thankful for our doctor for Andrea's OBGYN that delivered Nash. Um, it was in, in the delivery room that he came to us and he grabbed us and, and he said, you guys are gonna do amazing. And this is a very special little boy and you guys are super, super like lucky to have him. And this is gonna be a wonderful, wonderful thing for your family. And that was like the first time that I had that reassurance, you know, because because right before that, the nurse, like, in, and bless her heart, like, bless her heart, came up to me and just in a very solemn voice, like, grabbed my hand and just said, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. And like, bless her heart, you know, she, she's doing the best that she knows, but that doctor was inspired. That doctor is a good man. Dr. Heiner, amazing, amazing man. That was my next question. It was actually for, um, what would you change about the way that the diagnosis was delivered? And I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that story because I feel like it's usually the way the diagnosis is delivered that really crushes us. And it feels to me that he puts you on the right step. And the nurse is the nurse. That is just, we had nurses like that too. And I think that just comes from the misperception of what down syndrome is. No, no. Yeah. They, and, and again, bless her heart for like reaching out in empathy and, and in care and saying what she said, like, I know where that came from. Um, but yeah, bless Dr. Heiner's heart too, because he he's absolutely was a great, great person. It, um, so it's interesting that day, um, you know, that was about 11 o'clock that that went down in the morning and all our family knew Andrew's in labor and they're coming to the hospital. So around noon or so our family's showing up and we talked to them and, and, um, I was emotional and uh, it was about one o'clock that my dad said, hey, let's go to lunch. And so me and my dad went to lunch and uh, I remember <laughs> walking into, uh, into the restaurant and uh, out walking out of the restaurant right when we got to the front door was a couple in there in retirement years. You know, it was clearly they were in retirement years and they came out and right behind them was a little girl that had Down syndrome that I would guess is probably in her 
late thirties or early forties, uh, right there with mom and dad. And I just lost it again, you know, cause like, that's kind of when it hit me, like, Oh my goodness. Like Nash doesn't move out when he's 18 and go to college necessarily. And like, this is something that Nash is going to be with us for, uh, for his whole life. And that was, that was, uh, that was emotional. And I, I don't want to say like emotional bad, but I also don't want to say emotional good. It was just a very raw emotion that, um, that took me some time to process. Isn't it funny how we as parents of children with Down syndrome or even just any disability, we're forced to at the very beginning look so far forward and place uh, and place a limit or a, an expectation that limits on our children. Like you, you know, you said this is your Nash is your second child. When your first child was born that close to their birth, you you didn't you know, look out and say, and have to make that prediction. And I, and I think that carrying the weight of that is what skews the perception and what really um, would inspire like the nurse to say, I'm so sorry, which would, you know, and, and um, because I know every parent feels that at the beginning, and maybe my hope is that the feelings have changed in the last 13 and 16 years, because the information is out there. And definitely what you are doing is is changing the perception as well um i, I want to say that i feel like where you live uh, you've already talked about I- inclusion that you had you know students. Uh, students with mm-hmm. with down syndrome in your class growing up which it, which shows that there is an inclusive you know schooling environment which is great i wouldn't I wouldn't put that on you as a as a kid in high school. Your frontal lobe is still developing. You haven't quite in- acquired empathy, and that is really the burden of your teachers and the adults around you to give you those skills. But the fact that you went to an inclusive classroom and you have a uh, a doctor who who sees the 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 true gift of your child. Um, I just wish that for everybody, yeah. you know, I think it's, I think that those key elements, uh, contributed to what you're doing contributed. I'm guessing that your wife comes from the same place you do. She does. Yeah. We grew up 10 miles from each other. And those are elements that I think are lacking in, in a, in a majority of society. So they, you know, I love, I love, and that's why we invited start very late invited your wife on because when uh, I saw you tell the story and heard that your wife didn't skip a beat, I just wanted to talk to her about that because. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's not uh, how I reacted either. I mean, that's, I don't know what her background is, but we'd we'd have to find that out. But I had no experience with uh, people with Down syndrome. So like you, Brady, um, when my son was born, like his whole life flashed before my eyes in the future, right? And it was not even, it wasn't real. It was my perception of what his life would be. That did not happen when my typical daughter was born. And if it had happened, I probably would have been all these positive things, you know, because that's what I envision. But we don't know a person's life. I mean, there's a lot of possible negativities in someone's life. And if the true life flashed before your eyes, there would probably be some negativity there. And it could be very, very traumatic. Um, but we go there 
with a life of a child with Down syndrome. And, and I do, I do really enjoy already so many of the positive things and people in that moment, you know, you've got your wife, the doctor, your dad, even, and that couple and daughter coming out of the restaurant. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a special day. And really that, that's a, that's a large motivation on why we even created special abilities network in the first place is just a resource um, because you know, there's, there's the emotional side of it, but then there's also the aspect of like, oh my goodness, like Nash is not moving out when he's 18. And how does all that work with social security and him working and us taking care of him and heaven forbid what happens when we die and Nash is still alive? Like, how does all that work? And like, those were just weights and burdens. And, and like, that's the work that I had grown up doing is financial advising, helping people to plan. But I had no idea how to do that for families that, you know, are planning for multiple life expectancies. And so that was a big need that we, we identified and, and that's why we went down that route. But um, I would definitely say that it's a life's work to help parents in particular be able to see their children in a way that allows them to sing the song they're meant to sing. Because these kids um, and these adults that have Down syndrome, they have, they have a purpose and it's a very special purpose. And it's not to be a wallflower. It's not to just exist, but they have a divine purpose in my mind that they play in being able to give light and joy and love unconditionally in a way that, quite frankly, I've never seen anybody else be able to do. And it's a superpower. That it truly is a superpower that they have. And that's a life's work is to help them to sing their song they're meant to sing. I, I will tell you that as a parent, that... Um they are so happy. Like, I don't know what your, your journey has been. We're here in California. And as far as societal and inclusion, we're constant, we're fighting for our child's placement in the classroom. So, um, you know, for me, I have, uh, fought, we didn't have that message <laughs> from our doctor when Liam was born. It was a different message. So I Way have, different. I have fought, um, uh, I spent a great deal of time fighting a lot of the misperceptions. And one of those misperceptions I felt was my son is an angel and my son is, you know, because, because what that had done for my son was made the teachers not want to educate him, made the teachers feel like his presence was only to, for him to be socialized, like kind of like what you would do when you take your dog to obedience school to train them. Uh, and, and it took me a really long time to um, not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Because that statement for me, um, limited my son, because it, 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 what it did was it, it enabled others to distance themselves from the ability and like objectify my son a little bit, you know what I mean? Like he was this other entity instead of being included in society, instead of his life having um, equal potential and possibility. And it took me a long time to really see that Liam, his presence, I, what, I, what I find that that love, Brady, is that unlike a lot of us humans, it doesn't come with an agenda. That's right. 
You know what I mean? Like it's, it's completely unconditional. And the, the old, and the reason I stop here is because I feel like I want parents to know that that is a gift. I mean, I, I work always to be present in my life. And I feel like that comes really natural for Liam to just be present, right? I, I, I work to love people unconditionally. And for Liam, that's just a given. He doesn't have conditions on his love. And boy, if he sees someone that he just turned like, is like, mm, I'm good, then it's, <laughs> I trust him. I trust his judgment. Uh, and, and the way he loves without agenda, the thing is, is that I think we all have that power to do. We all have the power. I have the power to look at you, Brady, and see you as complete and able with full of potential. I, I have the power to see the best in you. And, and I think that when, we, when, when my son has been isolated as just being this entity that has, like you say, and you know what the truth is? This is the baby with the bathwater. It is a superpower. Love in itself is a superpower. And the fact that Liam has this, this ability to already be there to be to this place that I strive. It's, you know, it's, it's a goal, like it's, it's, um, but it's something we can all attain. And I feel like sometimes when people look at my son and see him as different, just because he knows how to love, um, it's, it's, it's like an excuse. So they don't have like, you know, it's outside of themselves. But I think it's very important that everybody should know that they, they, if they work hard, they can get to the place that our children who have Down syndrome ha are already are, you know? Um, and you, it sounds like you embraced that gift a lot earlier than, than I did because I spent a lot of time fighting the stereotypes. But again, I think I want to bring it back to the fact that you grew up and you've grown up in a place that's inclusive uh, all around. I, I, I was curious what you said that a lot of... Um, what you had envisioned for your son when he was born. You said a lot of that, like it changed or it was tampered. Um, can you tell me how and if those visions in actuality, how they changed and or if they changed at all? Yeah, I would, I would say that um, you've probably seen the movie uh, Finding Nemo. And uh, I would say that's one of our favorites. My daughter, that was, that was her favorite movie. And so we've watched it hundreds of times. And uh, I know every line by heart. And it wasn't actually until much later in life that I realized that I had a lot of um, Marlon in me, Marlon the clownfish, uh, Nemo's dad, overprotective father that uh, bless Marlon's heart, like he went through traumatic experience when uh, getting Nemo into this life. And so he was going to dedicate his entire life to uh, protecting Nemo and making sure nothing bad ever happened to him. And I would say that when Nash was born, I immediately went into that type of a mode where I just didn't have that with my daughter. Like, you know, Brindley was born and it's like, Brinley's going to conquer the world and she's going to do this and she's going to do that. And like, this is my daughter and here we go. And when Nash was born, it was more in relation to, I got to protect my son. I, I, like I said, I literally am Googling in the, in the delivery room, like how, like, 
how are the health challenges and how do we plan and how do we protect? And I just remember um, growing up and, and seeing, you know, kids that were different in how oftentimes they were treated. And I just never wanted my son to be able to experience that. And so we went through a lot of that um, throughout just the beginning. And it was a constant battle of trying to um, um, encourage and inspire and motivate Nash to do hard things, because that's part of our family mission statement, we can do hard things, but also trying to protect him and, and help him to not ever face some of those challenges that I think all too often comes with those that are maybe a little different than others. And so that's been a constant struggle. I mean, even as, as, as recent as in the last few years, we had one situation um, in fact come up where I, so I'm a huge baseball guy. I love the Atlanta Braves. And in 1999, the Braves went to the World Series. And I remember I wasn't able to go. And of course I wasn't able to go. It's like, there's no way I was going to the World Series. But I promised myself, <laughs> if the Braves ever go to the World Series again, I'm going. And here we are 21 years later in 2021, the Braves make it the World Series. And me and my boys watch every game. We're all a huge fan. We know every player by name, including Nash. Like he, he's a big fan. And they win the National League uh, Championship Series. And they're going to the World Series. And I'm like, we're going yeah and and then nash looks at me and he's like dad i go to the world series and i immediately look at him and i'm like nobody like remember you you don't you don't like loud places and and you remember you don't like going to these games and and uh and he's like looking at me and he was so excited because he was going to the world series and then after i told him that he's like yeah 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 i oh. i don't like loud noises and I I like caught myself and I immediately kneeled down and I looked at him in the eye and I'm like buddy you're going to the world series with me like we're going together and and I took him and we went and he did amazing like he did amazing and it reminded me so much of like don't be Marlon like these kids are capable more than what we give them credit for and and oftentimes their own limitations are not set by their teacher, but actually set by us. And so that was that was a very clear eye opener for me. And, you know, it's the same thing with Coop, like, you know, Cooper's the little boy we adopted. And, and you know, I coach all my kids teams and Coop like likes baseball. And, and I thought, you know, maybe he could play on the team with us. And I'm like, no, like kids with Down syndrome don't play in baseball with typical kids like they don't do that and then I thought well why not like why can't he and so and he's been playing with us for years and he's actually like pretty good and so lo and behold it was through you know getting outside of myself that created some of these first pitch opportunities because like Coop's fully capable the only thing holding him back is his dad you know what dad believes his ex his capabilities are so yeah that was a good experience Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Thank you. Because I, I think that's a lot of pressure on us as parents. And I think it's really hard to admit those things because we judge ourselves. Um, and we, we judge ourselves more harshly. Uh, so thank you uh, yeah. for sharing that. And, and it, it does bring up a really good point is that, you know, we and, and we've had those moments, too, where, you know, we do. We want to protect all of our children. 
every ch- you know that's what we do as parents uh and it and it is different and i think it is different with our children who have down syndrome because there's so many other elements there i don't know what your fight for the education system has been but when when you're when you're so hands on in the mix you just see other things and you have different fears and the and you're right like the and I just thought of my son, Liam, because he'll always go, you know what? You're right, mom. You're right. <laughs> I just, when I said that, it was just like, I sound like Liam, but you're, but the truth is you're right. It's like, we, we put more limits. They're able. Um, and, and that's the fine line that we, we find ourselves walking is changing our own narrative. Uh, and, and really like what Liam does naturally being present in the moment and, and, um, and it's scary. It's really scary to let them fail. We actually have written in our IEP, let Liam fail. We have that, let him get in trouble, which I don't know if that's been said to any child in middle (laughs) school ever. Can you please let him get in trouble? And that way he can learn how to work through that. Can you, you know, it's, 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 um, it, I, I appreciate your honesty because I think that as parents, especially when we're advocating, you know, that that's, it's, it's our journey too. And it's our journey to let go of, um, what we've been told or, or where, what our fears tell us, you know, so, so thank you for the, for that honesty. Um, I know that when Liam was born, Stephen experienced, uh, and I say Stephen because it's different, uh, like, you know, and I don't know, I know this is like wrong um, stereotyping how we lump mom and daughter and son and, and, uh, and yeah. father, that's, I know, but like, that's kind of a natural thing that people do. And I know that, that Stephen received a lot of comments about um, your, your son won't look like you, or you won't be able to play baseball with him. And it's just not true. It's, yeah. it's not true. Um, we have the same ability to to open opportunities for our children, and 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 I'm kind of jumping around here because I have other questions for you. But it it was one of the videos that you you have on your website, and and I had trouble navigating back to it, but I did see like you have a list of videos on your on your website for Rod's Heroes, and you talk about the institutions that children which surprised me at a very young age, like here in this country, we, they used to institutionalize uh, children with Down syndrome. And, and we all remember what that was and learned about what that did. But you were saying still to this day at about four or five years old, the children get moved from the orphanages to institutions. And, and you, you have a video that talks about that they're put in a crib. And so they never really live. They're just, you know, they're, they're put in an actual crib instead of like the metaphoric boundaries that we can put on our children ourselves. Um, and you want to talk a little bit about that because I think that that is a, a demonstration of the difference between um, giving our children with Down syndrome opportunities and support them to reach their potential to, in, in contrast to the archaic you know, institutionalization and, and what that, that does to children, any child. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, as early as the seventies here in the United States, we did the same thing. And so it's common practice in many countries that when a child's born with a disability like down syndrome, that they immediately will be abandoned. And 
you know, the example of our son Cooper. Cooper was born in China, Tianjin, China, a city of 14 million people. And when he was guesstimated to be six months old, he was found on a street corner early one morning abandoned. And um, that is common practice that when a, a child is found to have Down syndrome, let's say, that they uh, immediately are, are left and abandoned. So these children go to a, a orphanage, a baby house is often what they're referred to, and they'll typically stay there until they're four or five years old, at which time in often cases they get transferred to an adult mental institution. And so when I learned this, Nash was four, and the thought of Nash in all of his innocence and um, just his love being put in an institute that is full of adults that also have extreme mental challenges um, was just too much for me to, to really grasp. And so that's when Andrea and I um, really felt strongly that we needed to begin to advocate for these children and help these children be able to be adopted. And that's, that's ultimately the work that we do with Rod's Heroes is to inspire families to answer the call to adopt a child with Down syndrome or other special needs. Do you want to talk a little bit about where Cooper is now? Because he yeah. plays baseball? He's on a he's on an inclusive baseball team. Yeah, so I would uh, and it, I would say, you know, Coop, we adopted when he was four and uh, came to our family. And um, I believe that all of these children have a song that they're meant to sing. Like there's something inside of them that they all have a, a purpose and a, a destiny, if you may. And with Coop, um, you know, he's, he's a good little athlete and he has played baseball a lot. Go figure His dad likes baseball. So Coop plays a lot of baseball and he's shown a liking for that. But I would say what he's really good at is Cooper loves the stage. He loves to be on the stage. He loves to be in front of people. He is a showman. His favorite movie is The Greatest Showman. He is just a showman. And so through nothing short of just a miracle and an absolute tender mercy last fall, we had a, a pitcher and his wife for the Chicago Cubs reach out to us that follows us on our Instagram channel for Rod's Heroes and say, hey, we love what you guys are doing. You guys want to come to spring training? And we said, yes, let's go. And, and we shared that Coop loves baseball. And they said, well, do you think you'd like to throw out the first pitch? And I'm like, <laughs> yes let's go and so we go down there and um coop was you know we we play catch and we practiced and he went out there and immediately when he got on the stage like he became a showman and he threw a great pitch and he just plays to the crowd and the cubs watch that at spring training and they're like you've got to come to wrigley will you come to wrigley and throw out the first pitch and i'm like can't you know you don't have to ask me twice and so we went to Wrigley and um, on the Memorial Day game against the Tampa Bay Rays uh, this year, uh, Coop went out in front of the whole stadium and threw out the first pitch. And you just got to watch this video and you'll see what I mean when I say he's a showman and he has a song inside of him to sing. Like he just did amazing. And I'll be honest, like I was so nervous and I remember sitting like we were sitting on the the side on the side of the field 
just minutes before we were going out and I'm like, oh man, like, I hope he's like, okay. And, you know, I'm like going into Marlin mode again, you know, I'm becoming <laughs> a clownfish. like, oh crap, how's my son going to do it? I look at him and I ask him, I go, Coop, are you nervous? And he goes like, no, like, he's just like, this is awesome. And so he goes out and just crushes it. So, um, we get done and uh, we have that video and, and uh, I share that with a contact that I have that has a connection to the Boston Red Sox and said, you got to see this. What do you think about him trying to do this in Boston? And they immediately wrote back and they're like, we have to have Cooper at, at Fenway. And so two weeks later, just in June last month, we went to Fenway and here Cooper is again, like out in front of everybody, doing exactly what he's meant to do and just singing the song he's meant to sing and um and he crushed it like he, you got to see that video too but um I know that this is this is much more than just a first pitch this is much more than Coop you know like having a cool experience this is so much more because Coop was put on a street corner and we felt inspired to adopt him for a reason because he has a song that he's supposed to sing and so that song is to be able to help other kids like him that are in abandoned in these in these orphanages throughout the world and even here in the United States in foster care. Coop's song is to be able to help those kids get out so they can sing their song. And so we've put the initiative out there to the universe that we want Coop to go and throw out the first pitch in every major league stadium in the country and do so to be able to help inspire families to answer the call to adopt a child with Down syndrome. His his parents just uh, couldn't see the vision for his life, you know, and if they could see him now, I mean, and I think that's, a, I think it's beautiful. And I think that him, I know Liam has a really good arm. His first, uh, his first OT uh, played on the farm team for, for the Dodgers. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah. I always get that wrong. Yeah. Um, but uh, he played on a farm team. So his, his arm, you know, and, and whenever he would go to PE or he'd have adaptive PE, the coaches were always like what they were expecting. And yeah, then totally. Liam would come out and just throw it. And they'd yeah. be like, uh, how many times it. I've heard a PE coach say, you know, he, he's got a good arm. I go, no, he, yeah, I know. He, he does. Um, and I think it's beautiful that, you know, people are able to see, to really see, like, it's just, we can believe some things without seeing them. Yeah. But a lot of people need to see it because yep. they won't believe it. They don't believe it. And that's on the path of changing the narrative that has been out there for so long. Because like you said, the institutionalizations, that that that's not a real part of the a person with Down syndrome's ability. That's a that's a, a yeah, that's from the outside, and that's because of the Industrial Revolution. It had nothing to do with what people with Down syndrome were able to do. But what it did was it took, you know, uh, a, a group of people, and then it created a perception of their ability. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I can't, I just recently, because we were, we were talking to someone about the institutions, and you watch those videos. And it scars you, 
and those images don't go away. Those Im- I look at like the same, I, I see the emotion that you have for your son. And I look at my son and, and his innocence, his, his, his beauty and how that just gets squashed. And I think, you know, the neurotypical adult can say, can look back at their life and say that at one point where their innocence or their trust or their belief was a little squished or squashed or some people it's removed forever. Uh, but they still have the opportunity to, to exist in this world. Um, and, and that isn't the, uh, the opportunity uh, that isn't the same situation for my son or for individuals with Down syndrome and definitely not historically um, what, what the situation is. Um, I love my son and he's, he's beautiful. And the thought, the thought of that, I can see like you have your Cooper who you've supported to like live his life. You've, you've given him the opportunity to actually live his life. And that was essentially thrown away. You know, that is what has happened to our children historically. That is what continues to happen to them. Uh, in the education system for, for the most part in most parts of the country. Um, and you're changing that and Cooper's changing it because there's, you know, you have that video. This is what I want to say. Cause I, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast, but I talk about a lot about education and IEPs. Take a video of Cooper throwing out the first pitch to your PE coach who says that kids with down syndrome have low tone and are unable to do these things or the video of Chris Nickich uh, crossing the line of Iron Man. Like these stories, telling these stories do change the narrative because it allows people to see the ability of, um, well, you know, what it would have done for me uh, when we talk about when we got the diagnosis, I mean, like how our kids life flashes before our eyes in my mind. And we've talked about this so many times. I was like, well, it's my boy. I, I want to throw the ball with him. You know, that's what my experience was as a son. And in in my mind at the time of diagnosis, that was gone. Because you were told it was not right. going to happen. Because and I you didn't were told see all these limits. Cooper throwing a pitch at Fenway or Wrigley Field. I mean, those are like two of the most epic fields to begin with. I mean, <laughs> for that to be his first two is amazing. But um, <laughs> But I didn't see that. Not that Throwing the ball at my son is that important. It is important. It's a bonding. It's important, it's, but it's I'm historic. saying this it's, means so much more. It's not just about I can throw the ball at my son. It's that I should be open to I can do anything that I may doubt at that moment, right? This is just the part, part that probably is the easiest for me to connect to. But I should expect that I can have all the experiences with my son like any child. Right. And, and this is a way to get through to that young dad brain of mind when I had Liam, you know? Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's getting outside of our clownfish, our inner clownfish yeah. and, and being able to, um, see past that. And, you know, it's amazing how many hundreds of times I watched finding Nemo and it never dawned on me until much <laughs> later. They're like, that's the whole point of the movie of like Nemo singing the song he's meant to sing. And he's the one that saves everybody in the end by, rallying the troops and going in the net and getting all the fish to swim down. Like there's capabilities, there's ability that exists there and there's mission, there's divine call that these kids have to sing a song they're meant to sing and exists within them a superpower to love unconditionally, unlike anybody else that exists in the world. And so the only thing holding them back right now is our own perception of what their limitations are. And once we can get past that, it's fun to see see where these kids can go. 
Yeah, I think there's a part where Dory says to Marlon when he says, but I just don't want anything to happen to him. And then she says, but if nothing ever happens to them, him, how will anything ever happen to him? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's the, it's the tr- it's a really great metaphor. It is true. It's like, what do we allow our children to do any, you know, in with any child? But what, I, I think that's a, a metaphor that parents can really understand um, and, and grasp is that, you know, the, the difference is, I mean, and the difference is you, Nash, but also Cooper, like when you, when you, I mean, Cooper is a really great example of, you know, he was abandoned on a street corner when he was six months old. Um, they didn't see his life as potential. They didn't see his ability, um, as his story being, a, as important as everyone else's story. And, you know, he comes here and three and a half years later, he's, a, it's a, it's a completely different story. Yeah. A lot of time, all these kids need is a shot, especially those that are in orphanages or foster care. Like they just need a shot. They need a chance. And when families give them a shot, those kids typically uh, surprise their families with what they're capable of. Your, your wife calls them teachers, which I, I, I believe all of our, uh, as parents, um, we're, we're very blessed to, you know, have these little teachers come into our, our lives and teach us a lot. Uh, I think that's, I, I honestly, every, my daughter has taught me so much about life and, and my life and perspective and, and, and strength. And, you know, and then Liam is a totally different set of lessons. And as funny as it is, the lessons that I get from Liam just about presence uh, about love, about persistence, about making your dreams come true. Because, you know, we have a joke in our family that like, if Liam wants something, he'll, he'll want it and he'll make it happen. Like he will make it happen. And our daughter, my daughter and I were talking the other night and she tried to do what Liam does. And, and she like, he'll, he not only asks, he doesn't ask for it over and over. And that's what it was perceived as he just keeps asking for it. But he is very smart in the way that he doesn't ask for it. He tells you what it's going to be. Experience is gonna he be. tells you. And and to me, that is such a great lesson of how we create things in our life. I think it's a very specific lesson um, that we learn because <sighs> Liam doesn't know that he's overcoming any misperceptions. Liam doesn't know that the world thinks he's less than or not able. Liam just goes and lives his life and does things. Yeah. You know, and but in doing that, he breaks down walls and boundaries and he changes every person that he encounters because most of the time they come at him thinking they know him mm-hmm. and and he changes that that's right you know and and I love I love what you're doing um because I, I looked at your website and and I was adopted mm. and I I know the value of being told your value. I know the importance. I know the damage it can do when you're told you don't have a value. And I know what the difference is, is when uh, people see your value. So adoption is for any child. And, and 
just so important. You were talking about, there's one about, do they go to school? These kids in the orphanages, do they go to the school? I wanted, and and you said that they do, but they're seen differently sometimes. Um, the other students look down on them. And I just wanted to take every child that's in an orphanage and, and let them know that they're a gift and don't listen to people who have whatever going on in their life that they want to make other people feel bad because all they need to do is get past, just <laughs> survive, get past a certain point, And then they get to start creating, they get to call, they get to make their life, you know? And I think that, um, that, that that's the power. Like just because somebody else didn't see your value doesn't make that your value. But what you're doing by making this opportunity for uh, children with Down syndrome to be adopted, because that's not the only that's not the only child that that you also provide opportunity to be adopted for. Am I correct? That's what I was looking at yeah. the website. Yeah, it's many, we, uh, many children. Yeah, children with special needs or other unique circumstances we definitely advocate for as well. But by doing, I, I think the twofold is one, y- your family demonstrates and you really highlight um, the actual journey of a, chi- a child with Down syndrome, the ability, the parent's journey, the truth of that. I love your honesty. Uh, you're giving other parents because you're taking care of the fees for adoption, which is like the biggest obstacle for some parents. You're giving them the opportunity to have a child with Down syndrome in their life. And there's something about that being highlighted to change the narrative, because in, in my mind, I just see it as people one day coming to their senses and knowing, oh, I have to have a child with Down syndrome. <laughs> yes, like I just, true. I just, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's really what I believe in my soul. I didn't have any experience uh, with children with Down syndrome going up. There was only one time I went into a Burger King and there was a young man working who had Down syndrome. And I only saw him once. And I remember the friend that I was with went and gave him a tip. He was, you know, cleaning tables off or doing what everybody else does. But that was my only experience. Um, I My experience receiving the diagnosis, um, I was told that I should, you know, I could have gotten a test. There's like all this language that tells me, mm, no, this is not good. But once I was on the path, it's like you you see that that story is so false that you really do want, I think the world would be a better place if everybody had this experience. And yeah. it's not an ableist experience. It's not, you know, this, it's, I don't, I don't, I, I've never been able to, find the word for what this journey has been. I've never really been able to, to find a concrete um, articulation because I don't want to lean into a- anything else. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's an, it, but, but by you giving this opportunity, one, you're saying, you know, this is an amazing experience, folks you know, and you're, and you're giving people that opportunity. And I think that that not only does it change the world for that child, it changes the world for the child because they're not bound by the limited mind who doesn't see their value, right. Or the limited resources once that child is discarded, because that's what's happened. Um, they are given the opportunity to live their life really 
And, um, and you do say also on, on your, in one of your videos, I've listened to a lot of your videos on your website that, you know, at first, a lot of people will say, Oh, it's so good for this child. What a blessing for this child. And then you say, which is definitely the experience and what we experience when we're talking to uh, teachers in a school, you know, cause we get the same thing. It's the benefit of the child for the student for them to be a part of the class for some reason for some reason that became the conversation but the truth of the matter and it's something that you also say is that it's the families that are lucky that's right it's it's society that's lucky it's um classmates it's classmates that are lucky and it changes the world and in honestly a way that I think the world needs to be changed because there needs to be more love, there needs to be more compassion, and there needs to be more empathy. And we don't gain it by having a child with Down syndrome come into our classroom so we can be more loving and empathetic and compassionate. It's because we see it demonstrated in a human and then we can model off of that human. And I think I really I think there needs to be a little bit more modeling of of our children with Down syndrome. I think that um, they kids need to have them in their class. Like a child needs to have a, a child with Down syndrome in their classroom because they already hear the limits that perhaps society or parents have told them about their classmate, and they see firsthand it's not true. They also learn that they they can do hard things. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have someone next to you overcoming obstacles and misperceptions, you know, hey man, if if you know Liam can do that, I can do that. You know, and 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 you're giving people the opportunity to experience it. And um, it's like that old adage about surround yourself with people that are more talented than you. Yeah. And having Liam in a classroom uh, shines a light of where, oh, I could do that. Yep. And people don't see that, right? It's it's always thought the opposite way. But yep, yeah, we. um... I mean, you guys know exactly what, what I mean by this, but we find that um, Nash and Cooper help us to become our best selves. And I believe firmly that the person that we become is determined by the books we read and the people we surround ourselves with. And I tell my kids all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I just feel so amazing having kids with Down syndrome because like, those are the people I want to be around. And you go all the way back to, you know, the day Nash was born. And I see, um, I see this beautiful little family coming out of this restaurant and me feeling like, oh my goodness, this is the path that I was going down. And that that was a perceived negative when in reality, fast forward 16 years later, and it's like, yes, like Nash and Cooper get to be with us forever and that we get to care for them. And in return, they're caring for us much more than we're caring for them and not just me and Andrea but our entire family and our neighborhood and our church group and the schools and just our community as a whole it's pretty awesome to get to share that with everybody and we've heard so many stories about so many stories and it's happening more and more because just like the institutions of letting your kids do uh so many adults with down syndrome living on their own getting married yeah. uh and so keeping that in the fold too you know um yeah. knowing that that the uh, limitations uh, uh, that we once thought of are, are, are dropping away. Yeah, that's right. You're right. You're exactly right. I was just going to say, because you were like, they're, they're 
they're doing these things for us. I wonder, and I wonder about Liam, like, does, is Liam aware of this, <laughs> this responsibility that he has or that this is? Well, he, he a, wouldn't think you know it's pressure. I mean? he no, would be like, he, yeah. he doesn't, but, but it's, um, I think he'd be you proud of that. You didn't get to talk about Nat, like Nash, you, you, you told that, um, God, I love that story. And I thank you for your honesty too, about him going, going to the baseball game and um oh the world series yeah the world mm -hmm. sorry the world series about going to the world series do you want to talk a little bit about nash like what is he doing now nash is a is a he just finished his freshman year um he was on the student council um he was invited to participate in that that's not something that he ran for they actually came to him and said, Nash, we want you to be on the student council and help us to plan the events. And I think he is like the inclusion officer. He loved it, um, did a great job with it. Nash holds the bottle flipping uh, title for American Fork Junior High. I think he got 83 times in a row that he landed it. And so he's like a really good bottle flipper. <laughs> he loves doing that. And so he is, uh, he's amazing. And, and I would say that he and Cooper are just like yin and yang, peas and carrots. They just play off each other so well and they care for each other so well and they share a room and they're just best friends and they're actually very complimentary to one another. So Coop's not super verbal and Coop doesn't read or anything, but Nash is very verbal and Nash reads. And so um, you know, that's a positive thing for Coop. And then conversely, Nash isn't as maybe athletic or outgoing as Cooper, whereas Cooper's very extroverted and very athletic. And so when they're together, they just play off each other and they're very complimentary to one another. So it's pretty awesome to see that, that tag team working together. That bottle flip is a, is a, such a beautiful analogy to me that I could never have envisioned what a bottle flip would be when I had Liam, right? I mean, that wasn't a thing. Yep. When, I had to think when you said I was Googling and it was 16 years ago. Yeah, I guess we, we were Googling, but I, you know, there was a time where we didn't know what Google was. The bottle flip. So here, I can't even imagine what our future is going to be, right? I know. And, and in a moment, we're, we're for some reason pressured as parents or we have these ideas of, I have to think about all this future when we don't know what the future is and the potential of what the future is. It's out of our mind. That's right. Well, I think the bottle flip actually, like, one, I find, because Liam does this thing with his cards and his bears that he loves to do. And and at first, as a parent, I would watch it and I'd get, and I'd become, I'd be a Marlin and I'd get anxious yeah. and I'd be like, what does that mean? What does that do? We need to stop this. It's like, <laughs> I want you to be able to, you know, do the same thing neurotypical kids do. Or if you go to someone's house, is it something that you're going to do? How is it going to be viewed? All of these things in my brain. And then one day he was like, mom, will you sit with me and flip bears? And I was like, okay, oh, but five minutes and then we're going to read. <laughs> because for some reason, reading to me, I think was a like That to me, I viewed as this is going to be what you need. And not you're an flipping. avid reader. But I sat there with him and it's like meditation. Like we just sat and, and then it's a game and like, it takes skill to like hit, 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 try to hit the bears sometimes. And it's, it's a lot. Once I got outside of what I thought it was, once I got outside of my judgment and I was able to be there with my son as my son and know that my son was perfect and knows what he's doing, I, I could enjoy, I could enjoy that. Right. I didn't judge it or, you know, and, and I'll be honest that like your bottle flipping, that's like 
hand-eye coordination. That's, you know, motor skills that we were told that didn't exist. That's like, you know, oh. How satisfying it is when it lands. There's so many, there's so many things there. And you're right. We get out of our heads and and we, we stop this dialogue in our head and we're present. And I think that we're even able to... Just relax and know that, know that they've they've got this. We don't we don't have to continue to per, perpetuate uh, the the stereotypes or the misperceptions. Uh, not that we're doing it in our actions, but in our minds. I know that that you know, even like buying him a book bag yesterday. Like Sophia could. I mean, she had. Oh, she's gonna kill me. <laughs> she had a My Little Pony birthday party when she was ten because they're cool. And, you know, I'm buying him a book bag for seventh grade and I'm like, is Yoda babyish? And I know like I have so many friends my age that would be like, Yoda is not babyish. But I just get so scared. Mm-hmm. I get so scared. And when I'm scared, I'm not trusting that my kid knows. I'm not I'm not actually walking the path that I am saying that I'm setting before him. I'm I'm saying I'm setting this path without limits and with supports to reach his potential. But I'm not, I'm like a little bit off and to the right behind going, all right, I'm just, yeah. mm-hmm. there's the path, but I'm going to be back here just in case. I'm just going to be watching. And it's so much, I'm going to be watching, but it's so much more enjoyable when I join him on his path. Yep. Right. And I can, and I can, and I can be there with him. Yeah. You think of our children, they accept us for who we are unconditionally yeah and the least we can do is accept them for who they are unconditionally absolutely absolutely and i think and i love that you're giving other people the opportunity to be accepted uh unconditionally by children with down syndrome i want to um i want to talk about uh rod's heroes and we'll put uh, a link to that in the show notes and also i think that the um special abilities network can, can, is that is that something um that you advocate or is that like a, a business model is there like you're setting up trusts for um yeah that's a good question really good question as far as the mission and vision behind special abilities network is to give every family in america entrusted with a loved one with special abilities the opportunity to get the planning they need and they deserve and so the planning side of things comes really around life planning And so there's so many different decisions that need to be made for us as families in caring for and being caretakers of someone that has special abilities, as we like to refer to it, or as the world will refer to it as special needs. And obviously that includes this, the special needs trusts or the, the, you know, housing planning or the income planning or how to navigate through social security. All of those are super important things that we help families with. But at the end of the day, the purpose and the mission is to help these families not only let their child sing the song they're meant to sing, but those families sing the song they're meant to sing as well. We help families plan vacations and be able to do those things that they never thought were possible before and uh, are able to do now that they have a resource and a team to be able to help them navigate through it. Well, that may be a, a good future episode as well we've had yeah. some we've we've had an attorney uh, on about special needs trust a good friend of ours enrique perez um, but it's always good to have other uh, options and voices so how, how do you do that how do you plan is that something that you, you just help them plan with their finances and and what is the fee involved in doing that yeah that's a good question and so keep in mind the mission and vision is for every family to be able to get the planning they need and they deserve and so 
Um, as we know, uh, Down syndrome or other disabilities do not discriminate against age or race or color or any type of discrimination that happens to those that are wealthy, it happens to those that are maybe don't have the financial means. And so our mission and vision is to give this service to everybody. And so um, everybody's circumstance is unique and different. And so we customize the plan and the, the strategy very specific to that individual. And so I have a tremendous team, um, great teammates all throughout the country of people that are uh, educated in this, that have the schooling and the background, and more importantly, the life experience, all of our teammates have uh, special abilities children themselves and uh, live it and know it from a firsthand experience. So pretty special, pretty special operation we have going there. Yeah, because I assume things are different in each state. There must be different. Uh... Very different in each state. That's right. You know, it has to be very customized because, I mean, you look at just Cooper and Nash, they're very, very different in relation to their needs and what uh, what one's abilities are versus another's challenges, just like any other child. And so we've got to customize it accordingly. And for non-English speaking parents, do you have accommodations for those parents? The wonderful question. Um, we haven't faced that um, as often as maybe you would think, but for those that do speak uh, English as a second language or need accommodations, that's absolutely something that we would work to our best ability to accommodate. Wonderful. Um, we'll put a link to that in our show notes, as well as to Rod's Hero. Rod's Heroes. Now, um, did we talk? Did we talk we about? Didn't really we didn't really talk about specifics of Rod's Heroes because I want to talk about. We've talked about it vaguely, but I want to talk about it specifically, and then also how people can help and participate in that. Rod's Heroes, again, the purpose being inspire families to answer the call to adopt. And so there's three areas where I find families and individuals get involved the most. First and foremost is they become what I'd refer to as an unstoppable advocate. They, um, they share the message of these children. They're individuals that are advocating for these children. The way that we inspire families to answer the call is simply by storytelling. And so they take these children's stories and they share it through their social media or they talk about it and uh, they do a great job. They invite us on podcasts like this. You guys would be considered an unstoppable advocate. The second way is that individuals uh, through their donations are able to bridge the gap for these uh, children to be adopted. An international adoption of a child with Down syndrome on average costs around $40,000. And Rod's Heroes provides adoption grants for children to be able to be adopted that have special abilities. And so it's through those donations that we're able to offer these adoption grants and help these families bridge the gap. And then the third thing, and the thing that I'm most passionate about is obviously consider adopting. And so um, adoption is not for everybody. I'll be the first person to say that, but there are many families who have the ability, they have the life experience, they have the financial means, they have the home and the ability to be able to care for and open their doors to another child. And so those families that consider adopting, they truly are the ones making the miracles happen. Those fees, those $40,000, you can donate. I saw a little girl who made jam and donated her fund that she was hoping to go to Disneyland with to help bridge the gap on, on fees. You know what's amazing about that story is Brooklyn began fundraising for Vaughn. So Vaughn is the young man, the little boy that has Down syndrome. He's in Columbia. 
Brooklyn started advocating for Vaughn in 2013, 10 years ago. And for 10 years, we've been advocating to get Vaughn a family. And right now, Vaughn's family is almost ready to travel to Columbia and get them and get him. And so it took us 10 years to be able to find Vaughn's family. But I believe in my heart that every single child has a family out there. It's just a matter of us finding them. So Brooklyn's mission is being accomplished this year. Way to go, Brooklyn. Uh, how old is Vaughn? Is Vaughn 10 or was he older? Vaughn's almost 16 now. Yeah, Vaughn, I think, may have just turned 16, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I think that the the thing that people, I, that can be scary for someone thinking to adopt, but you, you have some before and after pictures that it just shows the importance of the the treatment and the environment that these children are in. And if at any moment, at any moment, you can change their story, you know, um, it, it's, uh, you know, people get scared sometimes. And we have a choice to come from fear or love. So if you have the ability um, the, I think we've, we've talked today about how the fears are unfounded, uh, and, but the impact that you can make on a human to just have a life and it's a gift back to you as well. But if you took the characteristic of special abilities and it was just adopting someone who was, uh, 16 or 13 or 10, who was in a bad situation, I think if you look at it that way, you know, it, it opens, it can open people's minds if they're thinking about it because it doesn't seem as scary. You can see the gift of what you're giving to take somebody out of a situation and then give them a life with love. And then you add that special ability and the gift comes, I mean, any adopt, I was adopted, but the gift, the gift that's there, like, I'm just trying to break it down because sometimes people will hear, you know, adopting someone who's been in an orphanage under these circumstances, but you turn someone's life around in a, in an instant and you're turning your life around in an instant. Yep. Um, it's like if you have a garden that you don't go out to and you, you don't water it for an entire, however long and everything in there is kind of appears to be dead. Um, and you start to give it water and you start to take care of it. It can blossom and bloom in ways that surprise you because you've thought of it as one way. And I love that you're giving, you're allowing for that opportunity. I think of those children who have to overcome misperceptions to the extent that people are believing that their life doesn't have a value and you're changing that narrative. Yep, one child at a and time. I thank you for that. Yeah. One child at a time, you know, and if you have any doubts, look at Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at Cooper. And that's, and I don't think Cooper is special in this circumstance. I think that's, that's the truth of a life when you, when you see it as having a value and when you love it and support it, when you nurture a, any life, 
you, you take an elephant and you chain it up and it's going to stay in the same place, whether you remove those chains or not. It's the same with humans, Yep. you know, and, and if there's any doubt, that's all you have to do. It's just, it's just changing your mind and changing your heart and changing the circumstance for a life to flourish and, and become, you don't know what seeds, you don't know what seeds lie in any of these kids. And I, and I, and I thank you for, for changing, for changing it. I think of those kids that they took out of the institutions when they were uncovered and, and just their faces, you know, um, they weren't given that chance and just give people a chance, you know, because our kids would give them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I would say adoption has been one of the most difficult or hard things that we've ever done, but it's been the most beautiful hard that we've ever experienced. And, um, it's just a super special, special thing and something that, um, gets us outside of our comfort zone and proves that we can do hard things. And in return, these kids get a shot and they get a chance to be able to sing the song they're meant to sing. You, you might not have the ability to, to adopt a child, but you can uh, donate and, and help and help to make it possible for someone who can. I, 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 and, and also go on to this, go on to the website and, um, look at, uh, the videos of, uh, that are, that are on there. There are a few, uh, podcast interviews. Um, there's a lot of stories that are on there and there's very honest and open stories. I think it's a, a great thing to share too. Um, because it, it, uh, it follows what your, your, your journey, your journey is. And I think that it can change it for parents coming behind us and you know, get rid of a lot of those fears. Your wife says it isn't something down syndrome. Isn't something that you necessarily would have chosen for your child at the time that they were born, because you, you really didn't know. We don't know. We don't know what that story is, but now she wouldn't change it. And I think that's the truth. I think, I think for the most part, when and I hope it's changing. I have, I believe it's changing. I have faith that it's changing uh, but for the most part, when most of us received the diagnosis, it was a weight and, um, and it doesn't have to be that anymore. And, and it, it, over time being on the path, I, I think that that weight is lifted and we're like, Oh, whoosh. Well, yeah. what was that, that I was doing? Um, so there's some really great, honest stories on your website as well. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I would say we also have a, a Rod's Heroes app that you can download on any Google or, or uh, so Android or Apple device um, that has listed all of the children that we're advocating for right now. There's over 100 children listed on that. And um, anybody that is curious as to adoption and, and the process to adopt and what children may be out there, there's, there's children on there right now. And share those videos of Coop throwing out the first pitch. I know. That's so fun, isn't it? It's so fun. <laughs> Brady, is there anything else that you want to add or talk about today? No, I think this has been amazing. I really appreciate you guys letting me come on and way excited to be able to see see where we can take this as a whole. I love and appreciate what you're doing because it, it taps into so many parts of my life. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. You too. Love to the family. Yeah.
Love the family. Right, Just keep swimming. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, Brady. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.